Four different times in our passage today, it uses the word mystery. And you know what that word is in Greek? Mystery. Or mysterion, or whatever, how they ever pronounce it. So it's, what, what is Paul talking about when he keeps saying the word, this mystery that has been revealed? That's, that's where we're headed today. I have always loved mystery, mystery books. Um, I happened to be back in my parents' house and was in their crawl space looking for, looking for things, and I found an old stash of my books, and in them were some Hardy Boys books. So just curious, raise your hand if you ever read a Hardy's Boys book. Okay. So now I know the other counterpart that was Nancy Drew. Okay. I just wonder, is there a gender thing there? I, I, I think so. Um, I did read Hardy Boys. The, the one I found, I, I kind of even forgot about it. It's, a, it's the three investigators. And, oh, there you go. Lawrence and I read a lot of the same books. So, so anyways, they're kind of like the Hardy Boys, but there were three of them, not just two. But, but in, in a, a mystery, uh, yeah, so we're, we're talking about this mystery. What is Paul getting at? And the question I want to really want to answer today is, is, is in the story of Jesus, right? We've been talking about the story of the whole Bible, and in the story of Jesus, how, how that plays, how does it work, right? How do you get from what Jesus did and said and taught to the eternal salvation, the eternal life that we have received? What's the connection between what happened and how the, the plan of salvation works. That's where we're headed as we think about this, this passage and what Paul means by the mystery. So I'm going to break down the, the passage today and talk about what is that mystery. I'm going to give you different statements of, of what Paul's talking about. And then I'm going to look at five truths, five key truths about that plan of salvation. So first, the mystery is the gospel message. It's the good news of the plan of salvation through Christ. In verse 4, he simply said, it is the mystery of Christ. Right? It's the mystery, the, the story of Jesus, and Jesus coming is how this has all, all come to be seen. Later in verse 6, it talks about how um, we are partakers of the promise, salvation into eternal life through Jesus Christ. So it's not just... Jesus, but how his life leads to salvation. It's the, the, word, the one word that captures this is the word gospel, which means good news. Paul, in another place, wrote, I am not ashamed of the gospel, which literally means just the good news. Not ashamed of the good news, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the, the, uh, to the Jew and then also to the Greeks. So that's number one. The second statement is the mystery had not been revealed in ages past. That this is where you get the word mystery. That it was, it was not known, it says in verse 5, they did not make it known to the sons of men in other generations. So in the generation of Paul, it's the generation of, that Jesus had come. So he says, we're in the first generation where the, the truth of this mystery has now been revealed. Verse 9, it says that it had been hidden for ages in God 
who created all things. So in other words, God had this plan all along, right? That what God would do to bring salvation to human beings was not something God made up on the fly. Like he had been working this plan. It had been in his mind, but to human beings, it had been hidden and so unseen. And I think even as we've gone through the Old Testament, right, I, thought, I think we saw echoes and, and things pointing ahead that God had something prepared, but we couldn't quite see it until Jesus came into view. And so the, this plan, and it says in verse 11, it says it was realized through Jesus. It was accomplished, brought about by Jesus. So only when Jesus had done that key work of giving his life could we even see and understand what that plan would be. Um, the, the mystery is how, how, how would he do it? How would he make this work? So the third statement about this is that there's a surprise twist to the mystery, right? In any good mystery movie, isn't there always at least one good surprise? Oh, I didn't see that coming, right? One thing. So the, the, one of the latest mysteries out, um, I think on Netflix, is uh, the glass onion, Knives Out. So let me tell you the, the surprise twist there. No, just kidding. I, I won't do that. Um, but right, a good mystery. What's the surprise twist in the mystery of the gospel? It's that the salvation would be for all peoples through the Jewish Messiah, right? That God would include amongst his, because the, the, the Old Testament would always talk about how, how God would bring salvation for his people, which the recipients were the people of Israel, the Jewish people. And they thought, oh, well, yeah, we'll, we'll have the salvation. And then God throws the twist in, yeah, but I'm going to bring in people from all nations and include them as my people. They will be under the same salvation plan as I am preparing for you. The word in there is the word Gentiles. It's the Greek word ethne or ethnusen or ethnos. It simply means the nations. And really what it's saying is the nations other than Jews. The Jews are kind of special in the Bible. And, and so the Gentiles are everyone else. And so God had in mind to include in amongst his people the, the all peoples, which is good news because for most of us, we are not of the people of Israel. So we're included because God made this choice. The fourth statement, the mystery has now become known and is being proclaimed in the church. So verse 5 talks about how it has been revealed to the holy apostles, um, and the prophets by the Spirit. So the holy apostles, that, that just means the, the, the disciples, James, John, Peter, and, uh, uh, Andrew, those guys, right? So Jesus himself talked about like what he was doing as he was bringing the kingdom. So the apostles kind of would learn it as they followed Jesus. And then at, at the time of the church later, God would continue to, to bring knowledge of this plan to people within the church, especially those who are prophets, who are listening to God's spirit and, and bringing in knowledge and trying to understand what was going on. And says, so, so through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is made known. This plan 
was so grand and unfathomable, right? Uh, so it talks about how he, he's making it known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The, 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 the plan that God was working, like even his own angels and the heavenly powers, the heavenly beings, they wanted, they, they wish they could have known it. Right? They, they, they were in the dark as well. In 1 Peter 1, it says, The things that have been announced to you, the, the, the good news preached to you by the Holy Spirit, right? This, this thing, are things into which angels long to look. I think that's why at, at like Christmas Eve, we have that reading from Luke chapter 2, and it talks about how the heavenly host breaks into joyous song. It's like they all knew God was up to something. And then when they realized, when it was revealed what God was doing, that God would himself take on flesh and be born as a baby, they were astounded. The plan that they had longed to look for, you know, like how would God save these people? They're so broken. They're so sinful. And the fact when they saw it, it says the angels were astounded at this, this mystery as they were seeing it play out. So the mystery has been proclaimed in the church. So it's proclaimed in-house, right, amongst the body of believers. So it's, it is known. It's, been re- it's no longer a secret, but there's another step. It says the mystery has been revealed to Paul, and he has special insight into God's grace. Paul, throughout this, keeps mentioning, in verse 3, it says, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. Paul did not hear it by going to church and being taught the message. He, he came to know Jesus in a special way. And he talks about the grace that had been given to him. He, he says uh, in verse 8, though, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me. So what's he talking about? Well, if you know the story of Paul, and you, you may already Paul began as an enemy of the church. He was a a scholar, a religious scholar, who was so against Christianity, he was persecuting believers, trying to put them in jail. And he was on his way to make arrests amongst Christians when Jesus showed up. The risen Jesus appeared to Paul and, and says, I want you. I want you to be on my team. And so God forgave his past hostility, and then turned him towards, instead of working against the message, spreading the message. And so, so Paul, more than anyone else, knew and understood God's grace and forgiveness. He had special insight into what it means to be forgiven. Paul could even be uh, the guilt of one of the first martyrs of the church, the first martyr of, of Stephen. Paul was the one that instigated that. So God had forgiven and shown grace to him, and now Paul becomes a messenger of God's grace and forgiveness. In, in one place in 1 Timothy, Paul says, here's a trustworthy saying that everyone should accept. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. He knew God's grace in his life. Next, next statement. Paul was giving the task of bringing to light for everyone the plan of salvation. So this is talked about in verses 8 and 9. 
And it actually gives two components to this, this plan. So it says, to me, though I am very least of all the saints, this grace was given. So the grace, in other words, this mission was given. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So he was given to preach not to the already Christians who were mostly in the Jewish um, land at that point. Right? When Paul came to faith, most of Christians were, were, were Jewish background. Paul was given the special assignment of beginning to preach this message to, to the Greeks and to others in the Roman Empire especially. And so Paul would go from city to city spreading the message uh, about Jesus and starting new churches. So that's part one, is to, to proclaim. And then, then there's part two, and, verse nine, and to bring to light for everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God? So he was called to bring to light how things work. Right? He was to bring to light the plan. So, back to a mystery. Right? At, if you watch a mystery movie, what happens at some point towards the end? The great detective gets everyone gathered together, and he... he points out all the clues and how they all point to the, the murder or whatever the mystery is, right? There's that, that great revealing. Paul was given the task of being that great detective, right? He would have to bring to light these different truths that, um, like where the detective explains all the clues, Paul could do that. And so the, the next thing I want to ask is, why Paul? Like, why was he needed for this task? Because the Lord had his disciples, right? There was Peter, James, John. What was, what was their occupation when they started following fishermen or tax collector or most of them were kind of working class guys? Like they, in other words, I'm not saying they weren't smart, but they weren't academics. They weren't thinkers. They, they were doers. And the Lord wanted doers, not thinkers, to be on his team who would spread the, spread the message. Here's something that Jesus said about his disciples. He had, he had sent them out on a mission to, to begin to preach, and they came back, and they're all excited about, you know, seeing God at work and their, their, you know, the good things that are happening. And so, so Jesus gives praise to, to God the Father, and, and here's what he, he says, he says, I praise you, Father, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. So who's he talking about? The little children are Peter, James, John. Like, like, like these guys, they're so excited about it, but, but they're not these astute academic thinkers. And so God, God decided to, to reveal his, this mystery to to first to, to guys like that. But you know what? He needed at least one person from the wise and learned who could spell it out for the wise and learned. And so that's why God picked Paul. Paul was trained to be a rabbi by one of the top scholars, Jewish scholars, Gamaliel. Paul had been a young and upcoming leader amongst the Pharisees. So he's training, he's, he's um, engaged and and doing this, Paul was zealous, and, and meaning he just, 
he just had that kind of personality, like, he's going to get things done. Like, he's, an a, he's, he's the time, type of person to be a CEO today or, or in charge of things. And, and when it was persecuting Christians, he was getting that done. But then when God changed his direction um, by appearing to him on the road, Paul would be unstoppable in spreading the message of the church. No matter what they did to him, he would just get up again and go to the next town and start, start proclaiming Christ. What God did to Paul is he knocked him blind for three days. And for, well, first he appeared to him. So now Paul, he saw Jesus, and now he's blind. But that doesn't stop Paul because Paul, would have, as a trained rabbi, would, would know the Old Testament nearly by heart. Right? He, and he, in those three days, could work out it in his mind. He could start to see the connections. Given the new data that Jesus was the Messiah, raised from the dead, he's then able to start to see how God had been at work all along and was able to, to kind of put together, as that great detective, the mystery of everything it was about. And so then how would Paul bring to light that mystery? He would write letters. He started um, traveling and starting new church congregations. And then, you know, so he'd go to a new city, and then he'd write a letter back to the old church that he had already started. It says, hey, don't forget this. Oh, and remember this. And the letters would, would answer, you know, deal with controversies or questions or challenges that came up. And so in writing these letters, he was clarifying the truths of salvation, of this mystery that had, he, had, he had insight into. Um, in fact, some of the, the controversies and challenges of the early church help us understand this mystery better. So when you're reading, like, the letters of Paul or the other letters, it's, it's helpful to know, well, what, what was the, the problem that Paul was writing about? So let me give you just one example. In Galatians, um, the, the Greeks were being told they need to be circumcised. In other words, they need to become like the Jewish believers in Christ if they really want to do what God says. And Paul says, no, Jesus Christ accomplished your salvation. You don't need to do a religious ritual. You just need to trust in Jesus. Trust in him alone for salvation. So we, we get key doctrines by understanding the controversies that Paul would talk about in these letters. Paul ended up writing nine letters to churches. So he wrote to church congregations, and they all have the names of the cities where they're at. And then he wrote four letters to individuals, Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. And in those, so those are a little different because they're aimed at individuals, but, but they still contain a lot of these doctrinal truths. I want to do one thing, though. I want to make sure you understand. It's not that it was just his message. His message, his gospel, was not different than what the other apostles were teaching. Right? It's the same gospel. He just came to see it, um, came to faith in a different way, and had special insight into it. That of an academic, of a writer, of a trained rabbi, versus, in a sense, a, a more a different version. So, but it's still the same gospel. It's still the same insights. What I want to do now, so given that Paul is the one who spells out, who brings to light the, the gospel plan, I want to give you five big truths that we see 
especially in Paul's letters, but we see in the Bible about how God's salvation plans work and say a little bit about each one of them. These are things, part of that mystery that's been spelled out now. One of is justification by substitutionary atonement. Ooh, big words. That's a lot of fun. Justification simply means how do we come right with God? Right? If we have sinned, we're at wrong with God. How do we become right with God so that we can be in God's presence? Um, Atonement means the same thing. How do you deal with the problem of sin? To atone is to to, um, take away sin. So you'd have animal sacrifices. That was meant to atone for the sins. So substitutionary means someone had to be a substitute in our place in order that we might be justified before God. I've already quoted once Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us on our behalf. He died because otherwise we would have had to die for our own sin. In Romans 3, he spells it out even more. It says there's no distinction whether you're Jew or Greek. It says, for all have sinned. All fall under the category of sinner. All fall short of God's glory, but are justified by his grace as a gift. We'll talk more about that. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, another big, big religious word, in other words, Jesus' death took away God's anger against sin. He is a propitiation by his blood to be received by, by faith. One more, 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So all those verses are talking about how we are justified, justification through substitutionary atonement. The temple sacrifices of the Old Testament were never meant to be the final answer. They were meant to point ahead to how God would deal with our sin problem once and for all. Second big truth, salvation by grace received as a gift. This is the idea that we cannot earn our way into God's presence. We cannot fix ourselves. We needed someone to do for us what we could not do. And it's not about saying, all right, here's the law, better keep it. And if you do it just right, you're in. This is about saying, we come to Jesus as fallen, broken people, and we ask and we plead for mercy. Ephesians chapter 2. So this is the chapter before our main passage. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this isn't from yourselves. It is the gift of God. We receive salvation as a gift. The the third one that I want to hit on is adoption as sons. And you can say sons and daughters. Adoption as sons and daughters Though it talks about sons because sons lets that male and female both inherit from God. We become sons and daughters of God through Jesus Christ. We, we gain status with God where before we were, whatever social status we have, we, we become a, a son or daughter with full inheritance rights in the kingdom of God. So let me read Galatians 3. This is such a key passage. And it says, now that faith has come, the way of faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian 
For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as you were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. So it talks about how faith in Jesus we are considered as we become sons and daughters of God. There's a related, the fourth one is really in this as well. So it's both, that passage covers both of these ideas. The, the other big idea, and this one I think is one people miss, but this is something Paul talked about a lot, is union with Christ. We are united into him. The, the Bible doesn't talk about becoming a Christian. It just doesn't use that language. You know what it talks about? being in Christ, or what Paul said in Galatians 3, being baptized into Christ, right? It's the Holy Spirit is also the Spirit of Christ. And if he lives in us, we have the spiritual connection, this mystic spiritual union with the living Lord. He is in us, and we are in him. And if we are in him, then we're also connected to one another through him. Through the Holy Spirit, we are connected to Christ. We're united to God. Um, and we are a part of what he is. He is we're, that makes us part of the body of Christ. One last one. And these are all connected ideas. They all kind of happen together. And again, what Paul is spelling out is what, what does it mean when we, when we get saved? What does it mean when we put our faith in Jesus, and we enter into eternal life. The fifth one is regeneration by the Holy Spirit. Regeneration just means being made alive again. And it's, a, it's this idea that sin did damage within us. In fact, we were dead, spiritually dead because of, of sins that we committed. And he makes us alive again by, by sending his Spirit within us. It says in Ephesians 2, it says, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So the Holy Spirit comes in our life and we are forgiven of our sin, but so much more than that. We now have the spiritual union with Christ. We now have a spirit that is in contact with the God of the universe. We have a power living in us. We are now where before we were dead and unable to be righteous. Now we are made alive so that we can begin to live out the reality of what he's done within us, right? He, he replaced the broken engine in our heart. That's, that's what... This, it's the same idea of the regeneration by the Holy Spirit. It says, it's 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. So, so what does that mean for us, right? If, if the new has come, if we're now spiritually alive, it means we have to live out what he's done within. We have to believe that he's replaced the engine. We have to trust in him, and we have to begin to flesh out in our, our day-to-day life the salvation that he's already worked within us. So 
we, we know he took my sins away by his death. So I don't want anything to do with those sins anymore. I'm dead to those sins. I want to be alive to Christ. Right? We, we know he poured out his grace on, on me. So I am compelled to treat others with grace and forgiveness even when I don't want to. He adopted me as a son. So I want to live a life that honors him in everything I do. And I don't want to do things that bring dishonor to my, my heavenly father. Right? His spirit is within me. And I am in Christ. I have, I have a spiritual union. So I want to live every day in that closeness to the Lord. If I really have union with Christ, I want to, I want to experience that. I want to know his presence more and more as I walk through life. Um, and if he has made me alive in Christ, I want to be alive and listening to his Spirit's leading and have the Spirit's power in my service to the Lord. So that's what it means. He does this work within us, and then we, we, we try to flesh it out in our day-to-day life. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Let us live like God has done, done that thing within our life. I want to come back to those five truths. And I want you to do three things with these five, five big truths. One is, when you read the scriptures, and I hope, I hope you're engaging in this, whether you do the, the hundred essential readings that we do or some way, that you are, are at least spending some time every week in God's word. When you read them, I want you to keep your eyes open to these five truths. Look, look for them. Hold, hold on to those truths. You know, it's in the handout, right? Hold on to them and say, oh, this is where it talks about salvation by grace. I see that, that truth in this, this passage of Scripture. So that's one. The second thing I want you to do is let them sink deep into your heart. Internalize them. Just, just know, I have been saved by grace. I have been, I, I, I have Christ's spirit within me. I, I'm united with Christ. Take all of those five statements and internalize them in your mindset on how you live. It will change your life when they're not just statements on a page or on a screen, but they're statements you, you speak for yourself in your life. And then the last thing, let them be manifest. May these straight statements and how you live, may they just show up in your life so that others could see them as well. May God, our Lord, give us the ability to do those three things. Father, I pray that. I pray that for each person here, that we would be able to do those three things, that we would um, see these truths in your word, that we would internalize them for ourselves, and that we would begin to manifest them in, in the life so that others see them in us as well. This we ask in the name of Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.